Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we discover the history all around us. This week, we continue our History at Work series, interviews where we sit down with young professionals working in the heritage, education, and culture industries to see how a love of history has changed and shaped their paths and what it means to them. Joining us today is a very special guest and someone who I'm very excited that we get to talk to in a professional manner. It's one of my good friends, Grant Rivard. Welcome, Grant. Well, thank you. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, originally, the the reason I guess I would have been invited to this podcast is I, I went to school with Robin, you know, I guess, I don't know how many years ago that'd be now. Too many. Um, let's not it, let's not uh, name numbers. <laughs> um, so I followed a lot of the same history courses uh, with her. So that you, you know that was a uh, part of my university days. I guess to to kind of go all the way back. Uh, I'm kind of from all over the place. I'm originally from Chatham Kent. I grew up in a very small town, maybe about five six thousand people. I went to school, uh, so my university years were done at the University of Ottawa, and. Once I was finished, I went to Teachers College and then um, started teaching in Owen Sound. So I guess uh, that'd be near Collingwood and Tobermory for those who aren't familiar. So you've managed to land the whale. You went, studied, we did our undergrad together, you went to Teachers College, and then you actually are gainfully employed as a teacher, as a, ver- as a, a fairly young person. Uh, yeah, I would say so. It, honestly, I don't have any complaints about the fact that I have a, you know, what many consider to be a good job. I enjoy my job. I, I like working, but I did have to move for that. So, you know, that's why I kind of say I've been everywhere, uh, everywhere around the province. It's a, uh, I started in the in southwestern Ontario, I went all the way up to Ottawa, so you know east, and then now I'm considered around in cottage country, I guess a a little bit south of northern Ontario now. So uh, I I did have to move for the job, but I do appreciate the fact that I am working in it and have been since 2011. So we know you're a teacher, Grant, but could you tell us more about your specific role and what you do in your day to day? Sure. So for fun, uh, this might take a while because I've played very <laughs> various roles in my school setting. Um, I started, I started as an elementary school teacher, where I spent probably about four years teaching between the grades of three all the way to five. So those are, you know, grade three is your provincial testing year, um, and grade four and five are equally important because they're getting ready for the next set of provincial testing in grade six. And once I did a few years of that, I was moved into the high school setting because I was a qualified. I was qualified to teach uh, to teach our humanities courses, so in history and in philosophy and in sociology for our eleven and twelve uh, grade students. So that's what I taught for a couple of years. Once uh, once I finished with that, I became a resource teacher for the high school setting. Uh, now, <laughs> now I play several roles. I am the resource teacher for high school, so our 7 to 12. 
I am the co-op teacher, so I take care of that program, helping kids find their co-op placements and then following through with them to make sure that they've had a good educational experience. I am responsible for our SHISM program, so a specialist high skills major, which gives the kids the opportunity to go out in the world, experience some of their future career choices, get some certifications along the way, and graduate with a red seal on their on their diploma. And as well, uh, I also teach teach gym, so gym in the high school setting. And lastly, a small portion of my day is an accompaniment. I'm not exactly sure of the English term, accompagnement, with other teachers in the school. So I play a leadership role where I would help them set up some programs or some school board initiatives that they would like to see in the classroom. I will help guide them through uh, and help them progress uh, through their careers. So you're like the Swiss Army knife of teachers. I have done a lot of extra schooling once I started teaching here. So I may have started in one area, but I'm finishing in another. And I'm continuously still gaining more certifications and going back to school yearly. My summer is mostly taken up of one to two courses that I take uh, on top of what would be my normal break time. And uh, I try to work for <laughs> I try to work for EQAO as well, which is our educational assessment for provincial testing. And, and I enjoy doing all of that. I'm honestly simply trying to progress through my career and try and make myself better and better. And that's why I find myself in different roles uh, in different roles and where I'm situated now. So you're wearing a lot of hats all the time. I wear probably about six hats all the time. It makes my schedule very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Out of all those different roles that you are playing and all the different certifications that you're striving for, what do you think is the most challenging aspect of your job as a whole? (laughs) Can it it be the amount of time I have throughout the day? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the newest role that I've taken on this year is my role is my leadership role within the board for our high school teachers here. That has been interesting because I've ne- I've always worked with students. I've always worked with with uh, with students on a daily basis and after school and throughout all their programs to make sure they have what they need. But I've never really worked with other teachers, or I guess in my co-op and um, schism program role. I've never worked with other adults, and that is a whole other ballpark of of learning. Because even though all students have different learning styles, you can kind of adjust yourself to that with what they need. Adults have a whole other learning style too, and they may have had that learning style for a long time. So trying to adjust yourself to them or having them adjust to a certain program or the way you'd like it to work out has been very interesting. So I'm trying to learn my best, uh, I'm trying to figure out as best I can how I can play that role with other teachers and helping guide them in what the school board would like to see in their classrooms and in their programs. That's been the hardest part so far. To give you an example, and I guess what I would like to relate to on the podcast today, in, in a sense, is one of the programs I put into place last year Two years ago, when I was in high school, when I was teaching the humanities courses in high school, was a procedure to help grade 11 and 12 students 
do a proper research project. And it was entirely based on critical thinking. So I would take a portion of the curriculum. I would present it to the student. It could be on one subject in general. Okay. Uh, we, we specifically want the student to learn about, let, let's say, the First World War, Canada's role in the First World War. Now, I would present that to the student. The student then has to go and find their own questions. So they have to question certain things. Uh, they, I want to guide them to make sure that they're kind of following along the right way. But, but they're, they're questioning, you know, what was Canada's role in the First World War? That's a, that's a large question. I want them to try and bring that in. Well, perhaps what was their role in, uh, in making arms for the for the war or what would have been the the role for um a woman's role during the during the first world war away and and in canada as well once the student finds their general question then they're starting to do the research and there more and more questions keep popping up as they keep researching and they're able to keep tab electronically of what they found either in books or on websites and then once they found all their resources, then the then the fun begins. So it's not just about finding all of all of the information. We know as historians we need to go through that and we need to think critically on how we can assess that information and pull out the details of what we need. And not only does the student do that, then they have to judge and gauge how good that resource is, which is something that me personally, when I started in university, I didn't have that type of critical thinking quite yet. I wasn't able to find a, a source and then properly gauge if that was a good source of knowledge, a good source of information, or whether it was some <laughs> garbage, some garbage somebody put online. Exactly. And so... <laughs> But this whole pro this this whole process takes a lot of time, and we're helping kids try and try and figure out that critical thinking process. And for them, that's something entirely new. It's uh, it's it, it's going to be part of the world in the future, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about um, digitization and just all the things that I often think about, how a computer might be able to do my job. Um, but there are certain aspects of, of judgment, like you said, that really are a lot more difficult for a computer or any kind of program to be able to do. It is a skill. It's something that is a valuable skill. So I think it's a really um, helpful program that you've put into place and really is going to serve them well no matter what they end up studying because those are skills that can be lent to any manner of job or just life situation those are all really important things that I wish more people had. Well, one thing, one thing I was going to mention is that this is, it's, it's part of your learning process in some programs in university where, where you know, students really hone in on that type of thinking. And honestly, some, some adults may not have went through that process and may have learned their critical thinking through something else. And some other adults may never have fully understood and engaged those those critical thinking skills which makes it so that <laughs> i guess i i find it funny when we get a lot of uh facebook posts that are forwarded and uh added to walls and 
honestly, they're complete propaganda garbage or they might be an ad for something. And people aren't noticing that that's the message that they're putting forward or they're believing 100% of what they see. And that's something we want to give to students. We want to avoid that, that they make those kinds of mistakes. We want them to question what they're seeing. And that's all part of the of what you would learn in a history program and many other programs included, but especially in that program. You don't want to repeat the follies of history in the past in your future. Grant, it really sounds like this project has been inspired by your education in history. Have there been other ways that your background has helped you in your career? In general, the actual argumentative process is hugely related to uh, research and and your critical thinking that you would do in presenting that research. So when when you have to argue a certain point of view, you know what what types of arguments are valid and which ones aren't. And it honestly helps and sometimes infuriates people, and let's be honest, when you know that your point of view or the or the point that you've brought across is 100% valid and you can point out that the point of view or the argument that somebody's giving to you is not valid. <laughs> or it's flawed in some way, right? Like sometimes there are logical issues with it or... It might be a straw man, like all of those things that you learn as you're trying to build solid cases through research and bringing forward valid and good resources and sources for evidence. Those are all like really helpful skills, I think, in just um, being able to proceed in life and making good decisions in general. And even just the practice of debating different ideas, I think. Exactly, exactly. So this kind of... Um point of view that you're talking about, like the necessity to read things through, to follow things up with fact, and really thoroughly researching um, ideas and things. Was that something that you feel like you've always had? Like, did you always want to work in history? Or have you always kind of lived your life this way? Or did this point of view just come about through your education? To be completely honest, When looking back on my adolescent years, or even as a child, I know that I didn't have those type of skills. Or if I did have those type of skills, they weren't as well honed as they are now. And even so, I'm saying that my skills are very honed now, but they're probably not. (laughs) That's me thinking of myself. I shouldn't. There's always room for improvement, room to grow, and, and things to learn. But really, I would have to say that a lot of that started in my later years in high school when we had to do certain research projects or I had teachers that would push that kind of critical thinking. What I think I'm doing with students now might go above and beyond that. It may, but I know that that's where that spark kind of started. With, with uh, I'll give you a really important lesson that I got from one of my high school teachers in grade 12. Our high school teacher had a student come in, a student who was doing their their placement for teacher's college in our class. And he gave one lesson that day about you would be a Nazi. Pardon? (laughs) 
that lesson he gave us was to show that most people in Nazi Germany at the time of the rise of Hitler would have been a part of of the Nazi propaganda and would have fallen into place with with what was being presented to them. Hitler was such a strong leader. Most of your neighbors and friends were getting involved in in what he was in what he was doing. He was giving strong ideals on on, on the on the strong German nationalism. And most people during that time would have probably been involved in that or would have been okay with it or would have followed along. And on your percentage-wise, that's a reality of most Germans at that time were very pro-Hitler. And it, that blew my mind when I, was in, when I was in high school. I thought, really? That, that, actually, that makes perfect sense. Mind you, you don't want to consider yourself or other people at that time as, you know, the followers of a <laughs> genocide mass murderer. But it's, it's the reality. That's the history behind it. And so when you think about that, hopefully you can take that lesson and try and think critically on your own leaders for your own country now. So did this kind of lesson kind of inspire you to go further into history or spark more of an interest in history? Or was that always there for you? I had two choices when I was in high school. I guess three choices, really. One of them was it goes in with the other. I wanted to either work with computers and whether that be some kind of computer engineer, software engineer, or go into some kind of computer science. Those are two things that I kind of still continue today. I still do programming and coding myself. I still enjoy working on my computers and uh, the hardware and the software version. But the other, <laughs> the other part was uh, I always worked with kids since I was the... Since I was around 13 years old, I've done, um, I was a leader for summer camps or a guide for summer camps. I was a lifeguard doing many uh, swimming lessons and, and just working. Oh, I also did some, some tutoring uh, in, in a school setting. And I never thought that myself, like, I never thought that I would go in a career that would be helping or educating kids. But since the age of 13 all the way to 18, you know, when you make those kinds of choices to go to university, I just thought, hey, I kind of like working with kids. I, you know, I could probably turn this into something I'd want to do. And, and I really enjoyed my history courses and excelled in them versus, say, my math and science courses, which although I did all right, I did not do very well. <laughs> It would have been much more of a struggle for me in university to go in through to to go into a program that is hard science or or hard math of some kind versus something that I actually enjoyed, which was learning about our history. I I guess to answer your question, it's kind of always been there, but when I went to go when I went to go choose my path, I followed something that was going to be more enjoyable for me. I still do enjoy what I do. I, I love what I do. I work much less with students and with kids. But I find that I, by helping fellow teachers or by 
helping my school board with their mandates, I'm helping more kids than I would just myself as an individual. So I still enjoy what I do, and I love seeing the changes that happen slowly but surely with our students here at school. So Grant, how has your career changed your outlook on history? Ooh. When I first began teaching, like most teachers, I think I had a general outlook of, I can change the world. I can change this student's thought process. I can help them achieve anything they want to. And the world is open to me to be able to do so. Although that hasn't changed, I realize that there are some differences and constraints that exist in the world of open and being able to do everything you'd possibly want. Continuing through my career, I understand that a lot of what a lot of what I do, a lot of what teachers do, a lot of what school boards do are mandated by the Ministry of Education. And the Ministry of Education has their own board filled with teachers and retired teachers and experts and leaders who make grand decisions for all of the school boards in general. And those are the mandates that we usually follow. Does that mean that I'm against those mandates? No, I'm usually all for it because those have been properly researched and and they've been tried and tested and you know we're it's all for the greater good of the students. But that has changed my outlook to knowing that that we do have certain rules, regulations and things that we follow for the student and it's not one of those you picture open field of of learning and knowledge, well, it's a little less of that, but that doesn't mean that working in those mandated different programs and things that the that the school board and the ministry sets out, that doesn't mean that 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 kind of open thinking doesn't still happen. It's just regulated on a on a way to make sure that all the students are getting everything they need for their future and when they go to their post secondary programs. So it's not quite dead poets society, but it's still good. Well, it's kind of dead poets. <laughs> I still, I still dance around, and you know, uh, I still make, I still crack my dad jokes all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It, it's been a real pleasure to have you and to hear your perspective, and just um, be able to explore the ways that history has followed you throughout your life and how it's affected your work and how your work um, allows you to be able to use those skills. Well, thank you very much for having me. On one last final point, I have to say that one other small part that I relate to history is reading every day. And that's not because I have a love for reading through history. It's because even when you're reading a novel, you can you can try your best to picture the time period in which it was written or the time period that it's supposed to represent. And it's, it's fun to try and figure those things out. You know, oh, for example, the book was written in 1994. Really? I wonder if they'll mention OJ. What? <laughs> you know, because that was huge back in that, back in that day. I was extremely young and did not see that nor very well understand it. But 
reading a book that would have been written at that time, that might come into play. Somewhere in there, something might be mentioned that was popular culture in that time period that you need to understand. Or a reader might read it and not understand right now. And that, it, again, to me, is just part of the whole fun of trying to figure out the history behind everything. Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Robin Mullins and Emily Cuggy. This week's audio editor was Emily Cuggy. For more information about today's topic, visit us at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or find us on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.